0: a young boy walking all right hello and welcome to the hotly anticipated second episode of the brew who podcast Um, if anyone was was slightly paying attention to the fact that we didn't release one on Monday any of our adoring fans there was a large technical snafu wherein uh, we recorded an entire episode and uh, when we were finished all you could hear was my voice and the clinking of the ice in my glass in between um, times while uh, while Greg and Riley were speaking. So uh, we're back again tonight to do it. I think bigger and better than ever. How are you guys doing, Greg and Riley?
1: We're doing awesome.
0: Fantastic. Okay, good. You guys have really you guys have really stuck through this. This is like uh, this is worse than watching like a summer league game. I think having to sit through me figuring out all this tech stuff. So these guys these guys are real gamers um, in that respect. But Speaking of gamers, um, I wrote the one last night for that uh, for that loss once again about the uh, losing to the Denver Nuggets last night. So we now have three games of Summer League under our belt. Still no sign of the Big Ragu. Uh, looks like he signed today, though, so we'll touch briefly on that. Talk about Summer League observations that we've had so far. And uh, at, at the end there, we'll go into some of the free agent signings the Bucs have made, uh, obviously both Urson and Brooke Lopez. Um, but I think we'll uh, we'll kick it off with the with the most pertinent stuff, which is the the summer league that's been happening lately. So um, I think the really the three, obviously the 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 summer league version of the marquee three, Christian Wood, Sterling Brown, and DJ Wilson. That's pretty depressing, but um, they uh, couldn't quite pull out a victory last night. But Sterling Brown looked pretty darn good, by far his best game in the summer league, probably his best overall game I've seen him play. Granted, it was this was summer league, so uh, you know mileage may vary with that, but Riley, what did you see out of Sterling Brown last night that you thought um, was really impressive and more importantly, what you think it might mean in terms of his uh, application and, and role and ability moving forward into the actual NBA season?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, he had a really good summer league campaign throughout, I think, especially last night against the Nuggets. He kind of showed these he's probably literally and more metaphorically speaking a fully grown man at this point um, and probably beyond needing to play in summer league any further. Uh, and really, what it was, was he just kind of took all of the um, characteristics that we got used to during his rookie season, you know, whether that be being an energy guy, uh, kind of having an inside outside game, maybe not the uh, guy you want to go to as the sole offensive creator, but um, willing to kind of move the ball. He can shoot from outside, but he's not afraid to kind of bang down low. He can grab rebounds. So um, it's just a really good couple of overall or all around games for him. And I can only imagine if he's kind of grown more into his body, he had a full (laughs) off season, to bulk up. Um, And, you know, if he's got going into training camp and coach, Bud doesn't really have like expectations for who needs to play where I I couldn't, wouldn't be shocked at all to see Sterling Brown kind of come out of the pack, especially, you know, if he has a good preseason or a really good training camp Um, and getting probably rotation minutes. uh, Maybe that's, uh, too much to expect um, even into year two, but he showed enough first year into summer league to really be pointing everything in the right direction.
0: yeah, I think I think the thing is that's that's I, you know I always thought Sterling Brown um, seems like the kind of guy who's supremely confident in his own skills. But I didn't really think he had that kind of like a weird alpha dog mentality, even in the even in a summer league um, situation, you know, I think in the first two games, he really sort of, flitted in and out of game action and made the, he he seemed to be really efficient with his touches. You know, he would get the ball. And uh, obviously the second game, he tried to create a little more of his own offense, but he would get the ball, you know, look for a pull up, um, you know, drive in a bit, pull up in the mid range and look for someone else on the perimeter, dish it out to them. So I thought some of his creation skills were nice. And the way, the way he was able to just, uh, you know, pull up in guys' faces, confidently all the time and 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 shoot at them with i was uh it was pretty impressive and and you know you talk about him growing into his body um you know he i think he looks a little pudgier in summer he could probably use that miami heat workout regimen or something to to slim him down whatever they did to james johnson or whatever but you know i think if if he you know he works back into shape for sure for the the regular season he's shown a lot of stuff to show that I, i think you're right he can can eat up some of those wing minutes um beyond that though i think obviously the the big, big two other people are DJ Wilson and Christian Wood. I think Christian Wood gets Bucks fans uh, significantly more excited for relatively obvious reasons. So, what have you seen out of Wood so far, Greg? That's that's really sparked uh, a lot of the interest that Bucks fans seem to have in him so far.
2: One thing that's sparked the interest of Bucks fans is that if he hasn't outplayed DJ Wilson, he's come mightily close to outplaying DJ Wilson this summer. And he, I mean, up until the third game, he was in the pole position for the Rashad Vaughn uh, Summer League MVP trophy. And that was just very encouraging, especially considering that Marshall Plumley is the token big guy on the two way contract. And Christian Wood has bounced around a bit in his first two years. Uh, it wouldn't hurt to throw him on the two way instead of Plumley, especially after this Summer League showing. But, I mean, Christian Wood is just a guy that. He knows his role. He knows what he has to do to make the roster, to get paid playing basketball professionally. And we've seen it in the summer league with his just tenacity to get to the rim consistently, whether or not it's the best look at the rim. It doesn't matter. It's summer league. He's still going hard to the 10. I think in the Sunday night game, there were some, some instances where he should have gotten some fouls called and got to the line, but he didn't, so he had a lot of misses closest to the rim, uh, but he's not afraid to shoot it from deep either, um, and like we saw with the Brooke Lopez signing, you know, signing a stretch five that can shoot is great, and Christian Wood's out there saying, hey, I can shoot from three. He has a very slow release, but he's chucking it up at the rim. Sometimes they splash. Most of the times they don't, but he's getting in there, and he's, he's just sticking his nose in where he needs to go. He knows his role. And how to, and he knows his role and what he needs to do to make the team.
0: Yeah, I think his, and we'll get into this later. I think with free agency, with the Brook Lopez signing, his uh, potential ability to to eat up minutes, I think we're de- we're definitely challenged and, and made more difficult by the signing of of Brook Lopez and everything. I mean, we already had sort of a large hill to climb with Tyler Zeller, Henson, and Thaw. Not that that's those are hard people to topple or whatever, but. Um, You know, I mean, this is a guy who was putting up like pretty outrageous numbers, like averaging 23 and and 10 or 23 and 11 in the G League last year consistently. So I'll be really curious to see whether that production translates. I mean, we saw a guy in Xavier Munford who was putting up really good G League minutes, you know, helped on the FIBA USA team, signed to the Bucks two league contract and couldn't even really sniff minutes. Um, Granted, that was under a different regime. Maybe Bud sees something more intriguing in him. I mean, he's done stuff with some backup. Um, point guards before, um, so I, uh, you know, it'll be curious to see whether Christian Wood is able to make it in the big league since he hasn't hasn't quite been able to yet. What's what sort of things do you think would hold him back f- from doing that, Riley?
1: Well, I think I mean obviously the one like you already kind of touched on just the construction of the roster right now. Um, I think it's probably safe to assume that Tyler Zeller is no longer for the Bucks. Um, you know, making more mourn his passing eventually, but I'd say he is i don't know he has like a a little bit more of a traditional inside game um and he appears to not suffer from the uh reputation that john henson has of being soft uh quote-unquote soft whether that's deserved or otherwise inside um so i could definitely see him especially kind of in the doldrums of the regular season uh finding some minutes every once in a while especially if there's any injury trouble but i think the main thing that would kind of bar him from place with the Bucks is whether or not he, you know, would be okay with going for a two way and, you know, slogging in for the most part another season in the G league. Um, I could definitely see him being a change of pace because the style of play that he brings is definitely different from everybody else on the roster. The question is, uh, does Bud value somebody that, um, you know, is mostly interior minded. Uh, maybe if Bud is looking for helpful rebounding here or there, he can kind of provide some value, but One, you'd need to convince Christian Wood that a two way is his way to go instead of trying to find something more lucrative overseas or like a, you know, maybe a fringe uh, spot on an NBA roster elsewhere. Um, But I'd say, in terms of just general soaking up center minutes, he's got all the tools there. um, And at age only 23, he's got a lot of potential still, um, a lot of upside. Kind of bounced around a little bit, but maybe now that he's been in the game for a couple years, a professional game, uh, this is about the time where he kind of puts things together and the Bucks can. He could be a buy low candidate for them potentially.
0: Oh, sorry, you cut out for a bit. Oh,
1: okay. Well, no, Christian he's... Wood buy low candidate. <laughs> okay,
0: okay, that's yeah, that's good enough for me. Well, so one of the things that I think. Uh, is most interesting about Christian Wood's game is I, I, I know he does sort of have that interior focus. He he like Greg mentioned he's he's tenacious, getting after the ball, which is uh, a outrageously refreshing sight for a big man in a uniform that says Bucks. Um, but I think I, I think one of the things that we might be most intrigued by is is some of the differences between his sort of fluidity and athleticism on the court versus you know DJ Wilson's perceived athleticism. Uh, I mean, when you look at these two guys compared. They're almost the exact same height and wingspan, but I, I can't really think of two players who who have sort of those same parameters and, you know, would purportedly have that kind of uh, fluid athleticism that you would expect out of people. I mean, when we watch DJ Wilson around the perimeter, uh, he, he seems to show fluidity dribbling the ball. Uh, he's able to move around and, and seems to try to find his own shot, but it, it seems to only come in fits and spurts and doesn't always, almost never actually leads to the basket, whereas – when you saw Christian Wood getting the ball up, up towards the top of the key, I mean, so often you would see him rip through and, and go on these huge dribble drive moves past uh, big guys. And granted, he was usually guarded by fives, whereas DJ Wilson was guarded by fours. But I feel like that's an aspect of, of their game that's interesting to compare and contrast. Considering Wilson's, and you know, we've talked about this before, but Wilson's athleticism doesn't seem to get him anywhere, whereas Wood seems very capable of, of capitalizing on the tools that he has to try and find his way to the basket and and draw fouls. I mean, you could see that last night. I mean, Christian Wood had I think it was like six to seven on free throws, whereas DJ Wilson had one. And I, I you know I, I almost never see DJ Wilson get to the free throw line. So uh, you know, what do you think about um, DJ Wilson and Christian Wood in terms of their similar size and makeup, but the, but the differences between their uh, both their athleticism, their application of it on the court, and uh, you know their usefulness, Greg. What do you what do you think about those two compared and contrasted?
2: Yeah, it's interesting how they do have similar-ish body styles. Um, I mean you look at DJ Wilson, he's he has bigger shoulders than Christian Wood. So it's like, oh, that dude, he loves contact. Not the case. Um <laughs> and we see with DJ Wilson, he looks athletic, but then you see him playing basketball. And it's like, oh, that dude's pigeon toed. And it's like, oh, okay. And he's taking up <laughs> shots. And his jumper is just... It's so ugly. But, like, it works, kind of? Like, he gets it to the rim, and sometimes it goes in. And it clearly has worked for him in his life if he's an NBA player. But it's like, he does not pass the eye test athletically or aesthetically. And his fluidity on the perimeter, like you said, it's a lot of motion, but doesn't really get to the rim, whereas Christian Wood... Yeah, he gets to the rim, and he's going to at least make the referee make a decision as to whether or not they're going to blow the whistle for a foul so he can get to the line, whereas DJ Wilson is going to get now, get down near the block. If he doesn't have an open lane to the rim, he's going to either pass it out or he's going to do a little fadeaway jump shot, and it's probably not going to go in. Yeah.
1: And I, it just kind of follow up on that. I think what makes DJ Wilson all the more frustrating as a player to watch is the fact that he already kind of has, it's not the most established, but he has an outside game offensively speaking, at least. So, um, the issue is he doesn't go beyond like the perimeter. He doesn't go for rebounds. Uh, like, like we said before, he's, he's like lithe. And he has like that false athleticism where you're like, oh, well, he's got like a really big wingspan. So he's got to be pretty good on defense, but you rarely like remember him having an impact defensively um in any meaningful way. Um so I think that's what makes DJ Wilson doubly frustrating is like you think all the tools are there. And you could totally see where Horst watched like a five minute YouTube highlight video is like this guy's got it. He could you know <laughs> come into an NBA NBA coaching system and he's good to go. Um but for whatever reason, he's just, if mindset-wise, he's stuck on the outside, literally. So that's it's another negative tool.
0: Yeah, lots of negatives with DJ Wilson. Here's what I'll say. I saw three things in the past two games. Granted, it's Summer League, so I'm taking absolutely lending no credence to this. But I saw three things that I liked, which is three more things than I've ever liked about DJ Wilson. One, he went down on the post and was able to... While he wasn't able to use his size, even though he was like six inches taller than Dennis Smith Jr. to, to get a shot up, he was able to look out to the perimeter and dish it out to Jordan Barnett in that game against the Mavericks for a three-pointer. And uh, at the very least, that shows he can pass and can has like a, a smidgen of vision, which is one nice thing. Two, in the game against the Nuggets last night, I saw him jump and contest a shot at the rim. I don't recall that any, like almost any time before. and. Uh, Dear God, what was the other one? All right. Well, I forgot the third. So uh, maybe it, it didn't even happen. But I feel like those uh, are the, those, those, like those two things are at least two things where I was like, okay, you know, that's some, that's like a small smidgen in this in, like black hole of a draft pick that we've had so far for me to, to, to like kind of grasp onto, which is feel like, I mean, we just went through this with Rashad Vaughn for years. We just like tried to find, the tiniest, tiniest distant star in his, um, in his own black hole, uh, universe, even though we do, uh, we did christen the summer league MVP, uh, to him, even though he rare, he didn't have that many good games, right? He didn't have that many. He had like one good summer league game. It's more ironic.
1: Yeah. I think it's a big joke is the, that's, you know, it's Rashad Vaughn. So it's, yeah, there's a punchline beneath it all.
0: Hmm. You know, I feel a little bad for him. Oh, well, he's a he's a nice guy. Um, he's okay. in
1: Miami now, so he's good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man, he would be a fun um, – get him under, like, Deion Waiters' wing. That would be the like, kind <laughs> of oh fun Oh, my God, do. a diet Dion Waiters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those – yeah, those guys would uh, would tear up Miami. Well, wow. um, okay, so, yeah, so I don't we don't need to keep bagging on DJ Wilson. I thought – I mean, he looked – I thought last night was probably his best game of the summer league that I've seen so far. Um, still clearly lots of stuff to work on. And clearly Sterling Brown was was pretty much the standout of Summer League so far. Um, and it looks like Dante DiVincenzo finally signed last night, right, Greg? Uh, yeah. Or
2: like, today? Uh, I don't know. but Sometime between 5 and 6 p.m. Central Time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we saw that. We saw DJ Wilson break that news with that. Uh, that what was that on Instagram or something where it showed that Dante was, DiVincenzo yeah. had like two bucks in his account?
2: Yep. Yeah. Villanova is not paying enough.
0: That's sad. It's a lot. There's a lot of money there, man. I'm really, I live really close to Villanova. I feel like uh, if he really needed some, I could have came in and helped him out. But (laughs) uh, so we'll see. It's too bad. We haven't been able to see Dante yet. I think, uh, I think this would have been an interesting uh, experiment to see what he would have done as sort of a a elite potential as a lead ball creator to see what he could do. Um, But to be honest, I, I, sort of enjoyed seeing Sterling Brown be able to have that opportunity on his own. I think, uh, I think that was really good to see him, see him grow in that way. And, you know, we'll see how Dante sorts of fits into the team, team ethos and aesthetic going forward. So uh, I think we'll shift then ahead to free agency and we'll start with the most recent signing, since I think that's uh, a little more enlightening and exciting for Bucks fans to think about is this Brooke Lopez signing signed for the biannual exception of $3.4 million a year relatively lauded across NBA Twitter, which was a nice uh, benchmark that I don't recall for most of Milwaukee's free agent signings. Um, that's just kind of a, a, a calming thing to have finally happen is people be like, wow, oh, that's a nice signing for the Bucks." It feels like that almost never happens. Um, but I, I think we'll start with you, Riley. How do you think Brooke Lopez sort of fits into this uh, Milwaukee Bucks team? I know you said you were watching some... some hot five minute tape on him earlier today.
1: Yeah, I uh I'm proud to say that I watched a total of four minutes of uh highlights <laughs> from his soul Lakers season. So you could definitely anoint me a uh Brooke Lopez whisperer if you wanted. Um no he's it's he's an interesting guy because he's molded himself throughout his career to like, you know, the changing dynamics of the NBA. So he when he first was playing in New Jersey and then Brooklyn, he was kind of like your traditional, you know, like score first big who had kind of all the moves around the basket that you could ever want. Um, you know, rebounded at a solid enough rate, et cetera, et cetera. And progressively he's just been pushing it farther his shot selection farther and farther out. And now obviously he's kind of lauded for being uh, a notable three point shooter. I mean, last season he saw, shot 34.5 from three and the year before 34.6 that's on like 5.2 and 4.4, uh, attempts tonight. So I mean, the, the guy shoots a lot of threes, um, and it's it it'll be interesting seeing how he fits within the team concept. I it kind of feels, especially with the Ursan signing, that Bud is going to put a priority on everybody around Giannis is going to have the ability to shoot, and we'll just work it out from there. Um, and I think, especially for like the regular season, um, even if. Uh, Lopez is a bit of a defensive liability, which he's shown to be in the past because he's a little slow footed. Um, and nowadays 30, he's still kind of in his prime, but probably not a defensive savant. So, uh, you're kind of getting a modern NBA big who can space the floor, which we haven't had outside of Thon for like sporadic minutes, um, who could potentially, uh, do a little bit of rebounding. We can talk about his rebounding issues in a little bit, but, um, he'll be an interesting, uh, you know, member of the rotation, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets starter minutes right off the bat just because of um, you know, his experience and what he's able to bring in terms of schematically uh, spacing things out, um, even if he gives up a lot of rebounds and uh, isn't ideal defensively.
0: Yeah, and we'll touch on sort of the the bud philosophy that you touched on before and how that ties into some of these free agent signings so far. But you also mentioned how he how he might work into the center rotation. And so Greg, where do you think Brooke Lopez will slot into the center rotation. And who who do you think might be the odd man out besides Tyler Zeller, presumably who's will probably be waived. The odd man out is most likely going to be
2: John Henson just because I said he was working on
0: those corner threes, man.
2: uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, he's also had like a decade to do that. (laughs) Uh, It's, so Lopez I have penciled in as my starter, like very darkened penciled in as my starter, uh, probably 25, definitely closer to 25 than 20 minutes a night. And I can see Thon and John splitting the remaining 23 based on matchups and sort of how the game's going. Yeah, I, I mean, Henson, he's also got two years left on his deal now. He's the longest tenured buck, which is probably a negative for him considering the turnover that's happened with the front office and the coaching staff. His game, he's an excellent passer. I will give him that. Maybe Bud and company can utilize his elbow passing, but I think we're seeing the dying star of John Henson in front of us. I think wow. it died years ago. I'm pretty yeah, sure. That's, I'm not sure it really didn't bad. really get off the ground,
0: but that's too bad. Um, okay. Sorry. I was trying to see, Oh yeah, it's definitely Ursan by my mind. I was trying to see who had more seasons total in Milwaukee. Well, actually hold on.
1: While you're looking that up, I just want to clarify uh, for everybody at home um, and that this is, you know, you can kind of look at some other stats, but in terms of total rebound percentage from last year and you're going to want to be sitting down for this, but Thon Maker had a better rebounding percentage than Brook Lopez did last year, so make it that what you will.
2: God, and imagine if Thon was able to actually hold on to a rebound or not trip over himself and kick the ball out of bounds.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the third thing with DJ Wilson. He caught a pass uh, on a roll <laughs> and he was able to finish. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Oh God, my God, the bar is so low. It's, it's really bad with these centers. I mean, and that is like, that is one of the things that I think um, is uh, was important to talk about with with Christian Wood before is that he would get the ball and he could at least go up and finish quickly. Like he had, he has enough athleticism to jump off two feet and just slam the ball, like yam the ball right in the rim really quickly. Which if if John Henson and Thon Maker struggle to even catch the ball, so and let alone try and put it in the basket rather quickly. So that's something else about um, about Christian Wood to think about. But you know one of the interesting things um with with brooke lopez that i'm intrigued about is that you were talking about how the minute rotation might work out and i was thinking about how they worked out before with greg monroe getting around like 24 to 20 you know eight minutes or whatever leaving around 20 or so for the backups and you remember kid and obviously granted his kid but uh you know he would give like sometimes just give like six to eight minutes for Plumlee and then like 10 for Henson and like swap them out between like doing like the end of the second quarter or something and and do these like weird rotations where a center never really seems to even get in any sort of range of motion or any sort of consistency or ability on the court. And obviously last year, John Henson had probably the most opportunity he's had all year to sort of rev up and, and get ready for these games and find his rhythm on the court. And it seems like that's, I mean, I think that's something that people have talked about for a long time is sometimes an issue with with big men. I mean, I remember all the way back to like Chauncey Billups, like keeping big men engaged. He would be like, I would just throw the pass to Ben Wallace on the first play, like every game, even if, and then just never pass it to him again, just to try and get him like his his head in the game to make sure that he's set. Uh, Mike Conley has talked about this, trying to keep big men's head in the game and get them know when they need the ball versus when other people need the ball. So, you know, Riley, as a As obviously, you know, no offense to you, you're not like an NBA coach, but how do you think that like that's going to work out where Bud can try and keep, whether it's like Thon or Henson, if they're backing up Lopez, how how does he try and get them involved and and get them in in areas where they can contribute consistently, quickly, and get their head in the game right away?
1: I think that's a good question. Um, I think it's a lot easier if... So if we're going with the assumption that Brooke is going to be the starter, which I think is probably a safe assumption at this point, um, I think it's easier to kind of have Thon. As we saw in the playoffs last year in the spot minutes, he's he's not exactly hard to get engaged. I mean, he's all energy and he's uh, you know, a very uh a very emotional player when he gets out there, even in the regular season. Um, so I would think uh if you were to bring thon off the bench you don't necessarily have to shift a lot of things schematically especially since uh brooke lopez is like an advanced version of thon maker in terms of his style of play um and i think a lot of it kind of comes down to questions philosophically for um how bud wants and how bud slash horst want to um get the rotation set where you know in the past you could kind of argue that uh you'd had to have uh, John Henson starting because he had to be engaged uh, because he never really showed a lot. If he was coming off the bench and you need to show him engaged so that he could be trade bait and somebody else would finally take his contract. I think at this point we can kind of uh, kiss goodbye to the dreams of somebody taking the John Henson contract off our hands. So um, maybe from this point heading forward, the uh, coaching staff won't even be concerned about trying to engage John. Um, you know, if he's wants to stick around as a $10 million locker room guy, who's kind of chill and doesn't cause trouble for not starting. I kind of see him sliding into that, and then you know have Brooke come off as the starter, and then Thon is the energy guy who can uh, kind of do similar things to Brook Lopez at a lot uh, at a more degraded rate. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I would say. I don't think you need to do a lot to get Thon engaged, though. Just have him do switch once onto a guard, get a block, and then he's good to go for the rest of the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his uh, his emergence last year in the playoffs was pretty ridiculous. And John Henson. You know i know milwaukee lost those first two games that john henson was in um but i thought played, i mean i thought he played decent i'm a big fan of his passing game i really think he has like some really awesome bounce passes on the low like, on the high post i think he could probably throw some pretty sweet passes to like dante di next year if he's able to get cuts and i think he has really good vision for a big man i, I just i don't know how much i don't know if it's good enough or the game is dynamic enough to really make him that useful of a player in the nba But you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the John Henson mid range jumpers just going out a little further. Um, Still hearing the same groans from all Bucks fans, but I'm excited to keep track of that and those clunks. The uh, it feels like he always had like one token jump shot a game, so I'm excited to be that. Have that at least be an efficient token clanker. Um, I'm trying to think what else I was uh, interested in in here. You know, one of the things about um, Brook Lopez that has, you know, consistently he was able to make his teams better. I think it, I think you were right, Riley. One of the interesting things about him is how his game has, has really evolved through all of these years and he was able to adapt properly, uh, even in his, his late stages here. I think that's, you know, it'll be curious whether to see whether John Hanson has enough ability to even do that. I, I, I probably doubt it, but um, you know, Brooke Lopez has been a pretty positive player for his entire career. Um, you know, granted a couple of years, he was on a pretty terrible Nets team, but Last year with the Lakers was one of the few years where he's had a pretty – he's had a negative net rating. But, you know, overall I think the, the makeup that he has in terms of a, a guy who can space the floor, give Giannis more room to operate and find his way to the bucket, I, I think he definitely makes sense in, in the ethos of this team, particularly at the the salary that we got him at. And, uh, you know, I think Ursan makes sense too in terms of this team. But, you know, speaking about the salary, I think – it's it's just significantly too high you know what um greg what what was your first reaction when you saw the urson signing at uh both the both sort of like the nostalgia of him coming back but then more importantly like the the number of years that he was going to stay here and the number the salary number
2: yeah the nostalgia didn't quite kick in probably the way that nostalgia should kick in it was more of a oh really kind of <laughs> like how the brandon jennings stuff it's like Okay, I guess we can go back to 2013 and 14. But it was just, I mean, the timing of it, sure, not not a fan. The length of it, when it was initially reported at just three years, 21-ish million, it was like, oh, no, not three years. And then it came out to, oh, no, the third year isn't guaranteed, which made it a lot easier to swallow for me because, um, I mean, God, three years of Ursan past his prime. I mean, he's gonna be he's already what 31-ish. So maybe 31. Maybe 31. So yeah, I don't want a 34-year-old Ursan around <laughs> making 7.3 million a year. Um, but as as the days went on, it it made it a little easier to swallow, but then you see what they signed Brook Lopez for. It's like, oh, if they would have just been a little more patient with Urson, they could have gotten him for a better deal cap-wise. If they were able to get Brooke Lopez for the biennial exception. Yeah, I mean, if they you know what, if the Brain Trusts wanted him from the get-go and they got him from the get-go, I trust him enough, but the seven to $11 million a year contracts just terrify me.
0: I think your inter- intermittent, like a uh, incredibly deep size really spelled out how I think a lot of Bucks fans feel about this, Greg, <laughs> that was that was helpful to hear that. R- Riley, one of the things that I think is is interesting is, you know, I, I was, I'm pretty upset at the, si- I, don't, I just don't think the signing makes a whole lot of sense yeah, at the salary figure they got him at, but it's pretty easy to sort of see where the front office and coach was able to get to this point because bud has coached urson for you know a couple years in atlanta seemed to really like his game you know horst has been around the Bucks organization for a while uh you know, probably i can't recall correctly but probably most of you know urson's actual time with the bucks um you know horst was there a good chunk of the time so it doesn't feel hard to see where these two guys would sort of come together and be like, okay, he makes sense. You know, Horst is like Bud. What do you think of this guy in your system? Bud's like, yeah, I've worked with him before. He works great. You know, what do you think of him? And he's like, yeah, no way. You know, he was here in the past, made a big impact. So, you know, it, it's not hard to see where they got to this point, right? In terms of those two, uh, those two collaborating in a, in a way that's, um, I, guess, I guess, meaningful because these two these two guys clearly aligned on this this Erson's Ilyasova point. Um, Sorry, and it looks like you you dropped out quickly there. But I was just talking about how the connection between it's like it's just pretty easy to understand how this signing would happen and probably maybe happen too quickly and maybe happen at a, a salary figure that wasn't super thought out when these two guys are both clearly you know have a past history with her son. Uh,
1: so I'm guessing the long story short is. Uh, I, my apologies, the connection wasn't working all that well. So you're looking for a reaction to the Ursan signing or what the philosophy yeah, just, behind it?
0: I guess the philosophy behind it and you know the fact that you know it, it it frustrated me at the time, but it's just it's just like not hard to necessarily realize where these two guys could easily come together considering their past history with Ursan, come together on this and be like, Yeah, this is a guy that makes sense, let's just get him locked down right away, as opposed to sort of having a, a little more patience. And, and thinking about it and seeing how the free agent period went on.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think, um, we can, it might be a topic for, you know, a couple months from now, once the season is going on, but I think that, uh, the quickness with which they kind of went to Ursan as a safety blanket is a little bit concerning in terms of roster construction, especially at the amount of money that they gave him. I believe when John Horst was on the summer league broadcast a couple of days ago, he had said something along the lines of, uh, how he and, you know, Ursan had a really good relationship and, you know, they were kind of chummy about signing, you know, this will be their third contract together. Um, and like you said, Bud has already coached him and he already feels comfortable with him within his system. So I think it opens a lot of questions um, about whether their need for somebody like a known quantity drove up the price artificially on Ursan, and if that's the case, should we be concerned about you know if something like that might happen again in the future with you know trades, or we can make a trade overpay for somebody that you know but is played or but has had play under him before that he you know feels comfortable with playing with, um, and like the urson contract isn't all that bad and i personally uh when i first saw the contract news come across i was nostalgic because urson when he was urson for the bucks during his first stint um that was like you know one of my first couple of seasons really covering the team or kind of following the team so i was happy that he was back of course you know having a third year unguaranteed is helpful but Um, I think it opens up a lot of serious questions about how outside the box are these guys willing to get in terms of um, constructing a roster around Giannis, especially with the clock kind of ticking. So um, maybe not the worst signing in the world, but uh, portends a potentially rocky future.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right that that's an important question to revisit in the future. That was, you know, some people that was some of their big misgivings with this bud signing is that he's had player control in the past when he was serving as president of basketball operations for Atlanta after uh, Danny Ferry was, um, you know, sort of forced to resign. So you know, it'll be curious whether this sort of trend of, of, of signing continues. And I mean, granted, you know, whereas the Urson signing didn't look great, everyone seemed to laud the Brooke Lopez signing. So, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to give him a larger sample size to necessarily see how this is going to, this is going to go. Same with Horst. I mean, you know, he's made mistakes, but he's also a first year GM. So I think we have to give him just a little more time to figure out whether you know, his position as a GM and, you know, maybe he can grow into into something more intriguing. I think the thing that irked me most. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say kind of following on with that, I think, um, especially for horse to coming off of, you know, his inaugural GM season, or when he was GM, the only other coach he had was Jason Kidd, which I'm sure was a nightmare of a day to day uh relationship. So um, it might be a situation where they're kind of building a bridge between one another. And like you said, they kind of came to consensus where, you know, they were looking over lists and they both kind of agreed that Ursan was the go-to guy. So maybe with time and more comfort between the two, uh, we can see maybe a little more outside the box thinking as well.
0: Yeah. I guess for me, the main thing that irks me about the Ursan signing is because I, I think he makes sense from a basketball standpoint. Milwaukee needed a backup forward. And that was someone who like a, a backup forward is something I someone that I thought they should target ursan filled in at spot minutes at the five i mean god knows we already have enough centers and we've had enough people who can fill in at the five at points before and i'd almost rather just still trot out Giannis at points just to see what he's able to do but you know it's nice he has that small amount of versatility but the you know the thing that bothered me most about this was the the seeming short-sightedness in terms of looking at the cap situation going forward You know. Let alone the fact that this seems to be the the summer of uh, of one year contracts because everyone knows they're cap strapped and they're trying to get back onto the market next year. So, you know, in that respect, maybe Ursan you know would have made more money next year, and he's going to play enough to seem like a bargain. But I, I just highly doubt that based on what these people are getting, and compound that with the fact that next year Milwaukee's going to be looking at having to re-sign Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon, Brogdon at a significantly higher Salary figure. Obviously, he's only making about one point five million a year this year, which is nuts. Uh, but obviously, Chris Middleton's going to command a, a, a large contract. Eric Bledsoe's is going to come off the books. You know, his his future, I think, is a a discussion we're going to have to have to get into at another time. But you know, I'm not sure if Milwaukee knows that they need to sign these two big guys, or not that they say they need to, but these two big signings are coming up next summer. I'm not sure why they would try and lock themselves into an extra seven million dollars and complicate things any further than it's already going to be when they're already facing basically over a barrel with all of these contracts that have started to add up, whether it's John Henson and Deli still on next year, Tony Snell's um, you, know, ex, you know, progressive contract that gets more expensive over time. I guess that was the thing that bothered me most. You know, what do you think, Greg, about the fact that they seem to lock into two years when next year is, is one of the more important you know off seasons? And you know, I feel like we say that every year, but you know, what do you think about the fact that they would sign up to a two-year contract as opposed to, well, they did sign to a three, but you know what I mean. So, what do you think about that?
2: <laughs> yeah, it is a little precarious to sign Urson to a two plus one as opposed to a one plus one, considering that, like you mentioned, Henson and Deli's contracts are off the books after next season. Um, and that is a combined 20 million that comes off the books. And if they signed Urson to the one plus one, they could, I mean, that could be a potential 7 million or seven and a half million that they wouldn't even have to pay neck. Oh, I guess not next season, two seasons from now. Uh, instead, they are absolutely absolutely locked into paying that fee. So it does hamper their ability to go after Brogden more aggressively Middleton more aggressively because there's no way Middleton opts in to his player option at just $13 million. He's going to want at least twenty. million. Uh, and there's, I mean, Brogdon is worth so much more than the sub $2 million contract that he has. And it's just, I mean, if John Horst was touted as a cap expert, I don't know if this move signifies <laughs> to that expertise, considering the dearth of one year and one plus one contracts that have been handed out and the fact that Urson was signed at 12.01 p.m. on July 1st, or excuse me, a.m., wow, 12.01 a.m. on July 1st. Uh, yeah. God, the more I think about the Ursan signing, the more I'm sighing. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> Maybe this isn't a good thing. Well, okay, so let's, I mean, at the very least, we know he'll be able to take charges. He. I don't know <laughs> if he has he has a whole lot of switchability. He was still second in charges last year, thirty-two. Kyle Lowry was first at thirty-seven. He was first the year before, I think, on thirty-six. Uh, it's pretty it, it's pretty incredible his consistency over his entire career, how his stats have been relatively the same. And uh, you know, Riley speaking about nostalgia, we'll be treated to his beautiful, beautiful off-kilter step-back jumpers. It's like a uh, weird, like a weird mutated version of what Giannis is like kind of pretty step back free throw line jumper is. It's
1: so, it's so molasses slow. I remember just years ago when I was like first tweeting, tweeting about how slow Rusan step back was like every single time, whether it was with the bucks or the other team, he's so consistent with it. So it must work if he keeps going to it.
0: It's weird how still he can stay in the air, even as he like falls back. Like, it seems <laughs> like he's, he's never met um, like no one's ever taught him to just like stand straight up. He's like, you know what? This is just kind of how I learned to shoot. Maybe like some of his brothers or something were like push, always pushing him down, so he always had to shoot like that. That feels like something that he's just adapted to. But I'm excited to see. Uh, I'm excited to see that again, and and you know, people, all the Turkish Thunder photoshops. That'll be good. Just, uh, just too bad he's making so much money. So I think the last yeah, thing and, we should touch on. Yeah, actually,
1: ahead. can I get one one final yes. thought? And so, uh, regarding the contract, and this would all of this would have to t- connote the fact, or you know, the assumption that Horst and Company have some sort of master plan. But um, with the way that the Jabari Parker market has kind of worked out, you could. I don't know if maybe they were looking at Ursan as, okay, you can bring him in. He'll be a little pricey, but he can be kind of like the super fig leaf uh, cover in case Jabari walks or, you know, we can't sign him for whatever amount of money. And in theory, his money lines up with the money of John Henson and uh, Matthew Del Vadova as well, which I believe uh, Giannis still has three seasons left. So, um, maybe they were trying to reconcile the fact that, okay, you bring in Ursan a little bit higher, but then you kind of line up all those contracts to come off the books in the same summer, and then you go for it in the free agency market then. But, um, yes, it's kind of a pain now. It, it could be more painful, more or less painful, depending on how the Jabari Parker situation works out. Um, but maybe not, you know, the end of the world just yet.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I forgot that Tony Snell's contract is, is last year is technically a player option. Uh, at around 12 million so that one will be intriguing if he if he makes some sort of big jump under bud that one will be intriguing i'm presuming he would opt into that but the cap is projected to jump by a little bit that year um be up a, you know latest memo set around 116 million so that'll be a curious one i think the last thing we should talk about is is some of the philosophy behind these two signings As we talked about how these two both Horst and, and bud could come together for this urson signing it just seemed to make a lot of sense uh, given their history but you know, I think it's, and we touched a little bit on this before, Riley, with you talking about how much control Bud might have. But it really seems like this team and this roster is sort of being crafted around the idea that they want players who can contribute now. And you you said this before, too. is like we, we're we looking for players in the Bud mold. that literally played for him. We're looking for Brooke Lopez, who could basically be like a Dwayne Dedman light. He could be like a Mike Mascala or or Mike Scott before that, guys who are just able to. Play a big, play a nominal big position, and I think Brook Lopez has, has better big man skills than those guys. Maybe not defensively, but you know, guys who can get down on the block, but more importantly, stretch the floor. So, you know, what do you think about the idea of, of how both of these signings sort of fit into um, the philosophy of what this team? and front office might feel for the expectations of this team this year and going forward. And, uh, I guess you could, I guess we already touched on the bud thing. So I think more importantly, you know, what this sort of means in terms of their expectations for the team and their philosophy for what it, what, what it could involve.
1: I would say, I mean, you kind of already touched on it. Clearly the team, whether that be because of cap, the cap situation and the fact that they're so locked into the team as it currently is or, you know, ownership and, you know, management as well, thinking, you know, we have to maximize Giannis's time now. We only have three seasons left because for whatever reason, we only got him to a five-year or a four-year extension. So I think it's all just kind of, it's almost like a sequence, like a uh, Rube Goldberg machine, like because of Decision ABC in the past, we've kind of been forced to uh, find whatever Band-Aid we can get in the short term to be able to make things work. And the Brook Lopez Band-Aid is a really good Band-Aid. The Ursan Band-Aid is like a I'd give it like an average Band-Aid depending on how old that Band-Aid is. Um, yeah. it's <laughs> <That's> gross. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I think in terms of I think it's been pretty well acknowledged for a number of seasons now, ever since led took over that uh, this is a win now team and the, both of these signing fit within the win now um, philosophy. So I think that's just kind of par for the course. And the only thing that really differentiated them was the fact that they're both kind of, they seem to be uh, in the mold or actual bud guys. So um, kind of echoing all you said there.
2: Well, yeah. And I think the fact that they are bud guys is important. Uh, just because, I mean, I can only imagine the damage that Jason Kidd and his staff did culturally to the Bucks locker room. Because we've heard Malcolm Brogdon talk about how button, or Bootenholzer is a straight shooter. He's going to tell you what he wants. And if, if you don't give it to him, he's going to be like, hey, just do this. And that seems, I mean, Malcolm seems like a very smart human being that wouldn't, play along with Jason Kidd's weird psychological tricks and motivations, and getting a guy like Urson, who both John Horst and Mike Boonholz are familiar with, into the locker room and just get rebuild the culture is probably the biggest thing with these signings. And that is probably an extremely large task, considering Jason Kidd's uh, less-than-stellar locker room management.
0: Yeah. And, and I think we've touched on this before, but you know, the idea of maybe, maybe these two coming together and horse being like, yeah, you know, I want to rebuild the culture. Let's get in guys that bud thinks can do that. I, you know, I think that's important, but I really don't want to fall into another one of these traps where it's like, Oh, this was, you know, this was a, a bud, you know, player. This was a, a horse player, that kind of thing that like, I cannot, there is, there was nothing more frustrating to me than the, um, in, in, you know, incredibly fluid, uh, non-demarcation of power and choices between Jason Kidd and John Hammond. i like there was literally no storyline that just made me more bored and upset and like just tired me out in terms of following this team and being like, oh, this was a kid guy. This was a Hammond guy. Uh so I really hope it like doesn't turn into that sort of narrative. Um that was, you know, that is probably the worst case scenario where Bud seems to have more player control than we want, and then it's sort of a, a this guy or that guy, you know, this this guy's pick or that guy's pick, and and complaining about that kind of stuff. So, hopefully, that's not um, hopefully that's not what this devolves into. But, um, Riley, you you know, you said something interesting about this being like a win now team since LED took over, and I feel like that's kind of been an interesting thing that people have followed for years. Is that, I mean, that wasn't the type of you know I don't think that's what they were espousing at first is they're like we're building a championship team but you know it felt it's felt like a lot of these moves have been a lot more short-sighted than than long-sighted right
1: yeah no I totally I mean it's it's difficult to go any other way right because of how good of a player Giannis is like one you're gonna have to if you trying to do like a we're going to just tear it all down real quick to do like a quick rebuild you, you don't have the timeline for it the contracts that you have you're going to have to attach all the valuable assets that you would need for a rebuild to get rid of those like onerous contracts um and it's and i can't imagine our uh our billionaire owners with a B are uh, all that interested in having like a couple years of losing um especially when they have you know such a top talent and Giannis. You know, so i would agree that almost every single move that we've seen uh horse and company and then john hammond during a short period when he kind of crossed over with uh the led ownership group it's all been kind of short sighted uh for one reason or another
0: great well i feel like that touches most of it with free agency. do you guys have any other lingering thoughts you want to get off your chest
1: uh not really i'd say that it'll be interesting kind of seeing what these guys, everybody on the roster's value is because who knows how artificially deflated everybody was under kid in terms of what they could do. Um, So I'm going to kind of go into this season with a blank slate for pretty much everybody across the board and see what Bud is able to get out of them.
2: Yeah. I'm going to agree with Riley on the blank slate. Um, Not necessarily, you know, what they did in the past didn't matter, but there's going to be a little more forgiveness of past transgressions um, if Bud is able to work the kinks out for him.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of fans agreed that the biggest upgrade this team could make was at the coaching position. And uh, I think it's pretty, pretty clear that they did that and I'm excited to see what it turns into. So let's end this with uh, predictions for summer league. Will the Bucks win one more summer league game, get to the uh, very challenging two win mark, And who will be the player that gets them there?
1: Greg,
2: you can take the floor. Oh, baby. They
0: will absolutely
2: get that elusive second win in the summer league. And it's (laughs) going to be my man Sterling Brown will lead the way. But then we're also going to throw a tip of the cap to uh, former University of Vermont great Trey Bell Haynes. He's going to, he's no namer. But he's going to come out there and he's going to do all the right things and facilitate it to Sterling Brown. And they're going to, whoever their next opponent is, they're going to run the backcourt and they're going to drop a lot of points. Riley? Um,
1: I would say there's no way on God's green earth they win any more games from here on out. Um, Everybody knows that when you get to the summer league playoffs, the rotations tighten up that much more. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And the Bucks have played like six dudes total. The, uh, the only X factor would be now that Dante signed if his groin is magically healed and if he gets some minutes, uh, that would be the only X factor. But there wasn't like a lot of inspiration, even like the game against the Nuggets where Sterling Brown went off. Uh, everybody else kind of had like an average game and they uh, seemed incapable of being competitive. So I don't see him going much further in Summer League.
2: Well, hey, if uh, DiVincenzo was the Final Four most outstanding player, that's a single elimination tournament. Summer league we, playoffs. We, that's single elimination. This is where he shines, especially if he comes off the bench.
1: We know he's got the clutch gene. That's, uh, that's <laughs> point one A in terms of pros for uh, Dante. So look, look to him to lead us to the championship if anybody's going to do it.
0: Wow. These are, yeah, I'm definitely anticipating the same from Dante. Um, I think we are going to not win one more. We're going to win, you know what? We're going to win one more game. And it's going to be because uh, Christian Wood has a very solid game he scores like 20 points and Travis Trice scores more than zero points um because uh I feel like he's like he you know he's like an okay point guard he's been on the team for a couple years now he knows what it feels like to put on a Bucks summer league uniform so I feel like uh our regular guys will be all right the summer league marquee three will do their thing and then uh Travis Trice might chime in some more sorry uh I don't know if I don't have as much faith in Trey Bell Haynes as you uh Greg but you know what there's time I, to be a believer, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- yeah T- Tbh.
0: Yep, yep. That's very true. All right. Well, we'll call it there. We'll see what else happens with uh, Buck Summer League here. We'll check back in in a couple weeks. Maybe do some broader topics if nothing else exciting has happened uh, as we start to get ready for the season. So, uh, what's your Riley? What? Where can people see you on Twitter?
1: You guys can find me at Riley Feldman, Feldman with two N's. Uh, if you look around, I, I was tweeting from the hoop account the past couple of nights, so you can find me there as well. You could probably find a link there.
2: Greg? Y'all can find me at Greg underscore licked, and that is spelled L-I-C-H-T.
0: Well, do- We're on iTunes now. We're on um, Stitcher. If there's any other platforms that you want to hear us on, I'm efforting to get us on like Google Play and Overcast and that other stuff. But if there's anything else that you guys like to hear us on, just shout at us on Twitter. Um, hit up the Brew Hoop account as well. Make sure you follow that on Twitter. You can read all of our stuff on BrewHoop and uh, we'll touch base again in around two weeks. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you again soon. young boy walking